All right, welcome back to another episode of Generally Assembled, your favorite House Republican Caucus podcast. Uh, I'm Jason Gottesman, back uh, after a hiatus from last week, and I'm joined by the always great and funny and uh, meme champion. <laughs> and for this week, head elf. Yeah. Neil, uh, Neil Lesher. Neil Lesher. There he is. Uh, you know, when I was growing up in uh, Perkinsie, Pennsylvania, there was a five and dime called Lesher's. Is that uh, any relation to your family? Um, no, but I feel like I need to go there. Is it closed? Open? No, oh. it's closed. Like no. all of other five and dimes. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. All right. Candy store, though? We had one in Palmyra. Uh, no, they didn't have any candy. Well, I'm sure they did, actually, but, uh, but it was... It was, uh, I don't know, it was like one of those old, old town, uh, you know, five and dimes, you know, it had a little bit of everything. A little bit of everything. Yeah, yeah. we had, I guess it was called it's the like Penny. like a general store, kind of. They called it the Penny Store, and it was that you could go in and buy penny candy. Um, and I remember, uh, actually, one time when I was in elementary school, a young entrepreneurial, Neil Lesher, uh, went to the candy store, bought a bunch of candy for a penny, and then was uh, at recess uh, selling the candy for a nickel <laughs> and turning a profit, and then I got in trouble for, you know, running a business at school. <laughs> Yeah, because that's exactly what the public school system does: is shut down entrepreneurs and three thinker, free thinkers. Right, right. They they, they then uh, they gave me an access card and sent me get over in to the line, welfare kid. office. <laughs> you know, they're like, you don't earn money. Go to the uh, the welfare office and yeah. get an access card. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. Well, this is a uh, uh, the the last uh, podcast we'll be doing before Christmas, so it's got to tide you over. Uh, that being the case, Neil, you got any uh, Christmas traditions that you're looking forward to? Yeah, you know, I mean, we we get together on New Year's or New Year's on uh, Christmas. Christmas Eve, we go to church, uh, you know, do the like, like the candles at church and all that stuff. Um, then we usually just go back to my parents' house and, and relax. We do like hors d'oeuvres, have some, uh, you know, spirits, uh, if you will, um, and play some games and just hang out. And then, you know, Christmas morning, we do, we do presents. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I think for, for us, it's, um, we, we also go to, uh, we go to mass on Christmas Eve. Um, and then we uh, also have heavy uh, hors d'oeuvres. Actually, this year we're going to get a uh, uh, honey baked ham, which is mm. uh, something that I always really like. Um, uh, but the sort of the meal tradition on Christmas Day is a New York strip roast. Oh. Although um, this year, since it comes from New York, it'll have to wear a mask while it's cooking, but it can take it off while we eat it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Um, yeah, we usually do um, we do a turkey and a ham for for Christmas. Although this year, my mom announced that um, you know it's a lot of work, and she wants to enjoy the holidays too. And I don't blame her for that. So she's going to make a lasagna, um, have it ready to go, and just pop it in the oven on Christmas Day. And I'm all for that because I like lasagna too. Great. All right. Well, let's talk to about uh, some substance here. Um, Guess what we're going to be talking about here today? Skullduggery? <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, uh, no, an extreme partisan gerrymander. Oh. Yeah, in the state house map. Did you hear about that? Yeah, well, I, we're not going to do a segment on PA Dems or San Francisco, but it is kind of fitting. You could say, like, you know, gerrymandering in plain sight while having cover fire from the media. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and look, I think as I was telling somebody else today, it's a tale of two maps. Um, you have the the congressional preliminary congressional map that the House State Government Committee was working on, that again started from actually a process already outlined by fair districts uh, and other good government groups about how redistricting should be done uh, through public hearings, the use of citizen submitted maps, uh, transparency throughout the process, and those groups are dumping on that map. 
and uh, in this one, you had a map that was literally thrust upon people minutes before a vote. Nobody was able to see it. Uh, it's gerrymandered to heck and back, uh, and to favor Dems outside of Pennsylvania's natural political geography. It uh, torches Republican incumbents uh, while saves all but two, uh, or basically at the end of the day, all but one Democrat incumbent. Um, it uh, it splits municipalities beyond what's necessary, and it creates these unconstitutional opportunity and coalition districts, uh, which are designed just to help Democrats. So, uh, and these fair district groups uh, are just loving it. Um, and I gotta believe, and you know, I'm not a cynic, believe it or not, but that the only difference in the maps and the only difference in attitude has to be about the eventual majorities that people are predicting from these maps in the congressional map which these uh, fair districts and good government quote-unquote groups are uh, doing uh, or, or rally, rallying against basically leans more Republican. Right. This state house map, which they think, think is great, exceeds Democrats' natural political geography and what they're able to obtain, which is about 93, 94 seats. And uh, some analyses, Dave's redistricting app, uh, independent analyses that um, are, are else out there. Uh, even the Princeton gerrymandering project, before they changed it, uh, had this map lean Democrat. And uh, these good government groups and fair districts groups, again, quote unquote, are uh, praising it. So, again, a tale of two maps. Let's talk about that um, Pennsylvania political geography, because I think this is the key point. The key point. And, you know, the, the Princeton gerrymandering project actually produced this. It was in the Philadelphia Inquirer's analysis. There's plenty that I have issue with in the in the Philadelphia Inquirer's analysis about this map, and we're gonna get into that. But this paragraph, they I I'm actually surprised that they even included it. Right, it's, a, it's more than a paragraph, it's a section of their article, but it goes through the natural political geography. And, you know, what it says is Democrats tend to cluster in, you know, cities and in suburbs and densely populated areas. And so if you were to draw a nonpartisan map without taking partisan data into consideration, which is what the Princeton Gerrymandering Project did, they actually had computers draw maps without taking into account any political affiliation or, or voter outcomes. The only control that they put in place was the deviation for population that every district kind of try to meet that one vote, you know, one person, one vote standard. So out of they had the computers draw one million maps, one million maps. And the median outcome was 110 Republicans and 93 Democrats. Yeah. And again, that's the natural political geography of the Commonwealth. So anything that exceeds 93 Democratic seats, essentially, uh, in, in any of these maps mm -hmm. is a gerrymander. Whether that right. gives them the majority or not, it's it's helping them gain seats through unnatural means. It's the actual definition of gerrymandering. Correct. Correct. And, and look, I, I understand that the Democrats do not like the natural political geography of Pennsylvania. I wouldn't like it either if I were in their shoes, because where people live and how voters vote doesn't give them a path to a majority in the state legislature unless they gerrymander the crap out of the map. Yeah, and that's and that's exactly what we've seen here. And and I think you know, look, the the, the explanation for this map and where they're landing on how to try to explain it is constantly shifting. It started with, well, this is all based upon population changes. Well, at a press conference earlier this week, Representative Delosier said Cumberland County is one of the fastest growing, if not the fastest growing, county in the Commonwealth, and yet they lose representation in the General Assembly. Um, Philadelphia doesn't have 
the growth required of it to have a new state house seat, yet that's exactly what they have. So you can't, making that apples to apples comparison, you can't say that this is driven by population. Right. I well, mean, Cumberland County grew by 10%. It was, I mean, it was in the papers when the census data came out. It was fastest growing county in the, you know, in the area and, and one of the fastest in the state. So, you know, logically you would think that Cumberland County would actually be gaining a house seat, gaining a representative from Cumberland County in the state house. Instead, we're losing representation. We continue to only have three representatives from Cumberland County, and where I live in East Pennsboro, we get thrown to the wolves and just thrown in with voters in Harrisburg because the only way that they can deal with, I mean, look, I'm, I, I was having a conversation with a friend the, uh, this morning about this. Um, you know, they say that they're trying to uh, account for the shifts in population in growing areas, but only in Democratic growing areas do they add seats. In Republican growing areas, they split us up and throw us in with other Democrats or in with Democrats to dilute our vote. That's what's happening. Yeah, and, and and look, I think, you know, the other metric that they then said was that, well, the reason that this map looks the way that it does is because we wanted to give uh, minority populations a greater say. So we created these opportunity districts and these coalition districts, which by their nature, and, and uh, you know, Chairman Nordenberg said this right off the top, uh, he took race into account in drawing these districts, and these districts are not required by the Voting Rights Act, and that is in and of itself unconstitutional. So we start talking about that, and they go, okay, well, then we're going to fall back to another argument, which is that this map undoes decades of Republican gerrymandering to create a majority. Well, as we've seen- They have no we, proof of that. Right, exactly. Well, not only that, but as we see the, the natural political geography of Pennsylvania, the natural political geography- gives Democrats a minority in the legislature and Republicans a majority. Um, and but these are the same people that like to use that catchy phrase that voters should choose their representatives and not the other way around. Correct. Well, I mean, if you look at this process, that's not what's happening. The, the, the representatives in the minority are hijacking the process with the Democratic Supreme Court to be able to take over the voters, yeah. to overrule the voters. Right. And, and as, as uh, you know, Leader Benninghoff ha likes to say, is that one person, a, an, an appointed person to a temporary office who is elected by nobody, uh, is now in a position of casting the tie-breaking vote in favor of Democrats to upend not only our natural political geography, but in some instances, decades uh, of how these communities have been represented. I think Representative Stanball said it right yesterday, which is people don't care who occupies the office. They just want to know where the district office is right. so that they can go and get help. Those district offices in some of these communities have been in these places for decades, and now you're changing the area's representation where, in like the Juniata Valley, the closest representative is now going to be 70 miles away. Think right. they're putting a district office in the same community? I doubt it. Right. The local paper actually came out uh, with an editorial opposing this. Um, you know, Mifflin, Juniata counties are, are, are a homogenous area, always have been a community of interest, um, and now are split between three different representatives. Yeah, that, that's absolutely right, and 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 that's that's a pattern that's being repeated all across the Commonwealth. Um, the way in which this dilutes rural population votes uh, and empowers, uh, you know, urban votes uh, unnaturally, by the way, not just do, doing so because of population shifts, uh, just speaks to the the extent by which this is a a map gerrymandered for uh, the benefit of just one party, yeah, uh, and tries to cement the Democrats in the majority uh, for the coming decade. I mean, I encourage people to look at the Erie area. There's an eagle claw around the city of Erie in order to protect the Democratic incumbents up there. Yeah, and if you look at some of these splits, Lancaster, State College, Allentown, Reading, they're only split, and the only reason that they, they, those things are, are, can be explained in any rational way is because of trying to give Democrats additional seats in those places. Um, yeah, when actually the Constitution says that 
so you can only do that when, abs- when absolutely necessary. When absolutely necessary. So when a municipality is large enough to wholly contain or, or largely contain a, a seat in the state house, it should. But instead, they took in all those instances and they split them. I mean, they, one of the other things that they're hiding behind is, well, actually, it's a few less splits than the current map. Well, yeah, you, but the only way that you achieve that is by splitting larger municipalities. Right, and, and the Constitution doesn't speak to the number of splits. It speaks to the splits that are occurring being absolutely necessary. Right. Um, and, and again, it, it's not a number. It's, it's their justification. And we have not received any justification for most of these splits. And when we have received any sort of justification, it's, it's blatantly unconstitutional uh, in, in its explanation. So... Um, you know, again, this is a, 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 a real problem, not for Republicans uh, necessarily, but for the people of Pennsylvania. And it's something that we can't necessarily let go uh, un, un, unnoticed by the folks it's going to be affecting. Yeah. And, you know, look, while they're trying to steal the state house, we can look to areas that are currently represented or run by Democratic politicians. Um, I don't, you know, just move off, moving on to a new topic. Oh, Neil, you're doing that transition so know, well. And then you, you, bung, you bungled it. It, it, it was good. <laughs> um, did you see the story out of Philadelphia? Um, hey, yeah. Uh, you know, Philadelphia decided, you know, because they get their own money directly from the federal government for testing and other stuff. And they decided that they were going to distribute free at home tests to people, except for, you know, they set up these locations with only about 300 tests. And they had thousands of people standing out in the cold for hours trying to get these tests. So it was just completely bungled distribution. But it does bring up an interesting point, And it's something that we've actually been talking about. Um, you know, just recently, we actually passed a bill by Representative Lawrence, uh, House Bill 2030 that would require the Department of Health to use some of the federal testing dollars that they're just sitting on uh, to do something like this statewide. Philadelphia is doing it, but we're not doing it for the rest of the state. Right. Um, and, I, you know, the Department of Health has gotten $2 billion directly to pay for testing and, and COVID-related things. So far, they've only spent about one point. Um, I'm sorry, the Department of Health has got 1.7, and they currently have only spent about a billion of that, and they're sitting on another $752 million and have announced no plan for that money. Uh, you know, during the budget process, we tried to get some of that money to our nursing homes to help them pay with testing, because obviously we know that nursing homes are most at risk, or the patients in nursing homes are most at risk, so we've prioritized that as part of our pandemic response. Uh, but, you know, the Department of Health just continues to... Uh, you know, play hide the ball here. They won't tell us how the dollars are being spent. They haven't announced a plan for those dollars. And meanwhile, it's like the Hunger Games in Philadelphia trying to get rapid tests. Um, yeah, and you know, it's totally a uh, socialist thing to say free, 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 whatever. But in this case, testing. But we only have five of them. Right. Yeah. So and come and get your free test. But they don't tell you you have to be like the first five in in in, in line to get it. And meanwhile, you know, the Department of Health who sent COVID positive patients back into nursing homes, uh, recently has spent most of their energy trying to warn the public not to eat raw cookie dough. Um, you know, just dead set on ruining the holidays. Um, personally, I'm not going to take my cookie dough advice from people who sent COVID positive patients back into nursing homes. Uh, I'm going to take my chances with the cookie dough because it's still safer than sending COVID positive patients back into nursing homes. So, right. well, Taking chances here uh, by listening to Generally Assembled. Uh, really appreciate you listening for the holidays. And, uh, Neil, I think you have something special to send us out. I do. I do. A little Christmas-themed uh, game we're going to play. Uh, it's Christmas time. 
your dad. I, I know, am, you're, I know you're looking forward to spending some time with Dawson Fairly new on dad. Christmas. Yes, that's true. I am um, looking forward so to So I have some Christmas-themed dad jokes for you. Okay, great. <laughs> um, all right. What do Santa's little helpers learn at school? I don't know. The alphabet. All right. How much did Santa pay for his sleigh? I don't know. Nothing. It was on the house. <laughs> they can't all be good. <laughs> uh, I'm taking well, notes. Oh, here's one I'm for you. Notes. Here's one for you. What's every parent's favorite Christmas carol? I don't know. Silent Night. Oh, <laughs> you got me. You slayed me. All right. What do you call? All right. There you go. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. Uh, what do you call bankrupt Santa? I don't know. St. Nicholas. <laughs> All right, last one, last one. What's the difference between the Christmas alphabet and the ordinary alphabet? I don't know. There's no L. <laughs> All, right. All right. All right. Well, yeah. <laughs> one time only. If it's a flop, we won't do it again. No, that was good. That was good. That was good. All right, folks. Uh, that's generally assembled for the holiday season. We'll uh, catch you all, all here in, uh, in 2022. Uh, yep. Until then. Uh, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. From Neil and from Jason. Uh, this has been Generally Assembled. You can listen to this podcast where you find all of your favorite PA uh, House Republican podcasts at pahousegop.com slash mypodcasts. Until uh, 2022, beep, ho, beep, ho. Boop.